Praise God. Please take your Bibles to Mark uh, chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I know I'm said, I just said we're going to try to get back to Timothy pretty soon here. But I'm going to do another uh, Wednesday message on uh, evangelism. We've really been hitting evangelism hard. Amen. How many of you are more fired up to evangelize since we've been studying evangelism? Hopefully all of us. Amen. In uh, Mark chapter 1. I mean, you know the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations, amen? Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, right? And baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And loyal with you always, even to the end of the age. The church has a commission. We have a purpose. One, reason we're on, one of the main reasons we're on this planet, some would say the only reason, I would say one of the main reasons, is to evangelize, to win the lost. I mean... Because Jesus said when the gospel of the kingdom is preached in all the worlds, it's to all the nations, then the end will come. Amen. Amen. And the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 11, when that last Gentile gets saved, you know, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the deliverer will come from Zion. And then Peter says, hasten or hurry the coming of the Lord. The Lord's not slow uh, regarding his judgment, but he's not one that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So we need to get off our rear ends as a church, amen, and reach the lost. So we're commissioned in Scripture to, to go out, man, and, and, and preach the gospel. We're not called to do the same exact thing, but we're all called to have a heart for the lost, uh, to want to see souls saved. When I mentioned that there's more than one reason the Lord's left us here, instead of just rapturing us right to heaven, right, uh, is to finish the Great Commission, Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, when he was speaking of the Great Commission. So he's not taking us out before the Great Commission is done. In fact, when the Great Commission is done, he's coming back, amen? And then we'll be caught up to meet him in the air on his way here at the end of the tribulation period. So it's important to understand we have our marching orders, and we need to go, you know? And the name of this message is called Becoming Fishers of Men. Becoming Fishers of Men. And we're going to see some of the keys to becoming good fishers of men. And in Mark 1, 16 through 18, we read these verses about Jesus. After he had begun his public ministry, Mark picks it up here, and, uh, and he's strolling along the seashore there in Galilee, which is incredibly beautiful, by the way. If you can make an Israel trip with us, man, it'll blow you away. I mean, I hate to say you'll read the Bible differently as though reading the Bible differently in an enhanced way depends on going to Israel, but I mean, because it's the living word of God wherever you read it. You can read it in a dungeon with very little light, right? You can read it by Braille without any eyes, you know, and you'd be changed because it's the word of God, amen? But there's something amazing about going to Israel. It's just incredible. And it's incredible because the land of Israel, especially when you go to Galilee, it's pretty much how it was when Jesus walked those shores, you know, it's amazing when you think about it like that. Pretty crazy. So uh, if you haven't made a trip there, and typically when people make a trip there, they typically want to go back. It's just so amazing. So pray about that because we're, we're praying about another time out there. I know we'll be going out to do a video, uh, basically a documentary on fulfilled prophecy in regard to Israel in November. But sometime after that, we'll have a church trip that'll just be and sign up, man, because we got so many people, not only from this fellowship, but outside the church that are connected to our ministries or love Good Fight and so forth and Blessed Hope. Uh, that signed up last time, we had a ton of people, so probably have a lot more this time. We'll see what the Lord does. But here in Mark 1, 16 through 18, 
we read, and he, of Jesus speaking of, was going along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon, and Simon, as you know, had his name changed to Peter. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. Simon and Peter and uh, Andrew were brothers. Casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of what? Men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Which is really amazing. There's a lot going on here that Mark doesn't tell us about because Mark is the briefest, briefest of the gospel accounts. Poor Mark, I'm sure he was... Like, man, I want to write more. But he's trying to write uh, a shorter gospel account. And so there's a lot here we're not seeing. But the essence of what he's telling them is, hey, you know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And was it just like that? He just saw them and said that? That's what you might pick up. But there's a lot more going on, which it's worthy of studying. Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to be fishers of men and women, fishers of their souls. Amen. One of the other reasons the Lord left us here was to test us. And to make us more like Jesus, amen? Test our faith and and, in testing our faith, perfecting us and making us more like Christ. But being fishers of men is one way he also grows us. And if you go to Luke chapter 5, that's where we get more detail on what's going on here. It's a very interesting passage. And I hope we all get challenged today. Father, it's my prayer that you'd make us more fishers of men and women than we are. In Jesus' name, make us more effective, Father, as a fellowship and as the body of Christ. And in Mark 5, we get some more detail of this encounter. I'm sorry, Luke 5. Luke chapter 5. And it's interesting because Jesus is, in the context here, Jesus is being pressed by the multitudes, which often happened to Jesus, right? When he was teaching, he was casting out demons, he was healing the sick. And his teaching, he taught like no one else. And the multitudes were just tripping out on his teaching, and they constantly, there'd be so many of them, throngs of people in the audience where it, sometimes it was, wasn't any breathing space. So Jesus wanted to get room, so he asked Peter if he could borrow his boat and kind of use his boat and offshore a little bit and use the, you know, maybe the uh, water there as a soundboard a, a bit and talk to the crowd. And Peter acquiesced and said yes. And we read uh, in Luke chapter Five, verse 5, because, uh, now keep in mind, it's interesting. It says, uh, just before this, it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. So it's interesting. I think it's really cool that Peter lets him use his boat, and now Jesus is going to bless him. He says, Peter, put out, you know, go into the deep water and put out your nets and, and, and for a catch, you know. And what's Peter thinking at this point? Peter is a what? An experienced fisherman, amen? He's a leader, kind of naturally, but God will make him supernatural leader. And, he, and Jesus, if he knows anything about what Jesus did as, as far as a trade, it was not fishing. What was it? Carpentry, right? The Greek word that we translate carpenter, carpenter often means craftsman. So he could have laid brick, he could have, you know, or block or whatever. I could have done a lot of things you know, with, with a crafts, as a craftsman. Uh, now, it's interesting, but he's also a rabbi, you know, a teacher. So he's like the carpenter slash teacher, whatever he might be thinking, is telling me to go cast, you know. And look what Peter says in verse 5. Master, we worked what? Hard all night long, or all night, and caught nothing. 
but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Okay, because you want me to, I'll just do it. You know? But he's, what's he saying? He says, hey, we worked hard all night. He's basically saying, uh, we're not going to catch anything. I don't think we are. But hey, you said it, so I'm going to do it. Who knows, right? And the results were astonishing. Verse 6. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to what? Break. The Greek word for break there is to begin to break, so that's why the NSB says began to break. Otherwise, it would have lost everything, or mostly everything. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to what? Sink. Talk about pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing. Amen. The Lord's giving them everything they can contain. It's really, really pretty cool. Uh, I, I wish, I want to see some of this stuff. I don't know if any of this stuff's on videotape, on the Lord's video. I mean, it's all in his memory. He could just show it to us. But some of these, I'd like to see Peter's face at this point, you know. But he's amazed over the miracle. And he recognizes Jesus as master. He recognizes him as Lord. And look what it says in verse 6. It says that, you know, he fell down at Jesus' what? Feet. He's like, wow. Okay, you're not just a teacher. You're not just a carpenter. He's recognizing him as Lord. He fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. That is maybe per perhaps the greatest haul they've ever had. And it's at a time when they'd fished all night long. It's at a time when it's like, okay, we fished all night long, caught zero, but hey, since you're saying it, I'll do it. And now they're amazed. They're tripping out, right? Verse 10. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So it's Andrew and Simon who are doing the fishing, right? Or, you know, who he's, he's using. But these guys are there, which is interesting. We want to see in what capacity they had been there, which is really interesting. And then it says, and Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. Simon, Peter's freaking out. He's called Simon at this point, right? He's freaking out. He falls to his knees. says, I'm a sinful man. You know, go away from me. I Meaning I'm dead. Because I realize, he's realizing that Jesus is the Messiah. Now you'll see in a little bit, a lot of times when this is preached, it's preached as though this is Jesus' first encounter with Peter. It's really not, okay? We know at least one other encounter that Jesus had already had with Peter. Uh, but you have to put Scripture with Scripture to see what happens there. So Peter already understands that the claims of Jesus as the Messiah. But now he sees it with his own eyes. And now he's tripping out. And it says, he, Jesus says to him, Do not fear, from now on you will be what? Catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. And what did they do? And followed him. Wow. Wow. They followed him. Just like we read in Mark. In Mark, we see that Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, right? Follow me. So we get a, a detail there that we also get in uh, Matthew as well. Now, it's interesting. Peter felt so unworthy that he said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When you are in the sheer holiness presence of God, I mean, think, keep in mind, he's totally pure. He's all-powerful. He created the entire universe, right? His heart is that we be pure. Amen. 
He is a God of love, but he's also a God of wrath upon the wicked and those who are rebellious against him. Amen? And Peter sees this incredible just display of power, right? Now, even though he sees it from the vantage point of benevolence, that the Lord is blessing him, right? Because you might think he might be like, wow, Lord, you are so good to me, you know? Here I, I, used, I let you borrow my boat and look how you rewarded me. You know, you're, you're, you're an awesome God, you know? No, he's not saying, he's realizing this is grace, okay? That wasn't, you know, okay, I'm going to reward you and give you what you deserve. He didn't deserve that kind of catch, right? He's going to bless him out of his grace. And Peter recognizes the depravity of his heart, how utterly depraved his heart is, and that he is so unworthy to, be, to follow Christ. Because guess what? He's like you and me. He's fallen short. There's guilt in his life over things he had done in the past. Maybe things he had currently been doing up to this point. And so when Jesus reveals who he is, Peter's not only blown away in amazement, but he also has a sense of strong conviction. I am in trouble. Remember Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up in his holy temple, and the robe of his temple filled, you know, the, his robe uh, filled the temple. His glory shined, and the seraphim were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, they sang. And Isaiah's like, Whoa, is me. I'm, in, I'm undone, man. I'm in huge trouble. But the Lord didn't wipe Isaiah out because he humbled himself before him. Peter humbled himself before the Lord here. Keep in mind, he's on his knees. Lord, I'm a sinful man. You know, depart from me. Meaning, you know, I'm of no worth to you. You can't use me. And how many times do we feel like that sometimes? You ever feel like that? Like, man, you know, how could the Lord use me? You know, I'm such a wreck. Like, you know, Isaiah said, woe is me. You know, I am ruined or I am undone. Different translations. And all of us are truly unworthy of his grace. Amen. That's why it's called what? Grace. Amen. So Peter gets a really big dose of the Lord's power and his mercy and his grace. This is important because the Lord is calling him to become a what? A what? A fisher of men. Amen. And how many of you sometimes like, I'm unworthy to witness. I'm unworthy to shine the light of Christ. I'm unworthy. But guess what? Every one of us is unworthy. Now, if you're in rebellion to God and you're just not wanting anything to do with Jesus, then you go witnessing, then that's messed up. But if you're like Peter, Lord, have, you know, humbling yourself, the Bible says God gives grace to the what? He gives grace to the humble, but he what? Resists the proud. And the Bible, Peter himself learned this, right? So Peter will say in 1 Peter 5, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. Did Peter not find that out? That's exactly the lesson Peter learned. So when the Lord, want, the Lord wants to use you, the key is to make sure you're seeking him and you're recognizing that you're never saved by how good you are. You're saved by what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? Amen. Because the enemy would love to condemn you and sideline you and accuse you because he doesn't want you out in the mission field. Satan doesn't want you witnessing the lost. Okay? So he'll seek to trip you up and then condemn you and de, you know, you know, basically debilitate you. Don't let that happen, man. Ask the Lord for forgiveness if you've fallen short. 
Say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Amen. Repent and turn from sin. And then go and obey Jesus. Amen. Go and sin no more and start serving Jesus. If you fall short, fall on your face again and get right with him. Don't stop serving the Lord. Amen. Don't let the enemy take you out. Because that's how exactly how Peter, Peter felt right here. That, man, I can't serve you. I'm a, you know, even though he brought this, God just showed him his grace. Amen. I think there's a lot of ironies here, right? The irony is Peter's the fisherman. Jesus is the carpenter rabbi. Peter can't catch anything all night. Jesus in a moment catches this big haul, right? Two nets full breaking. Boats, or nets full, I'm sorry. Two boats sinking, you know? Yet Jesus is more than a rabbi. He's more than a carpenter or a craftsman. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Amen. He's the God of the universe. And Peter's beginning to recognize this. But Peter just had all this grace poured upon him with this huge haul. And there's an irony there, you know. Because what's happening there? He has this huge haul. He pulls in all this fish. But guess what? Now he's going to be the most famous fisherman in Galilee. But guess what? Jesus calls him to leave his nets behind. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and then he's like, I mean, now, wait a minute. I can start a big business here. Look what I've just, just Peter's fishing, you know. The guy that pulled all these up when everybody else was skunked that day or whatever. No, that's not what's going on. And it's just ironic because Jesus calls him and he leaves the nets. And the, it's irony here too. He says, I'll make you a fisherman. But guess who Jesus, get what, guess what did Jesus just catch? He caught a bunch of fish for them, but he also caught who? He caught Peter's heart, right? Andrew's heart. John and James, the sons of Zebedee, they were brothers. Andrew and Peter were brothers. And Peter and, or I should say, James and John were brothers, sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee. So Jesus is already catching them, you know? And this is important to understand because it's like, well, how am I going to catch men? How am I going to catch souls for Jesus? What did he just do? Who just exerted the power for them to catch fish? Jesus, amen? And it's, understand, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, amen? So he's the one that makes us fishers of men, right? He doesn't say go to school for 10 years and you'll learn how to fish for men. He says, follow me, amen? amen. Now they're already seeing him catch men because he just caught them, amen? Right. And they're seeing the exertion of his power. That's why I was mentioning to you before when Jesus says, uh, uh, it, when he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations, right? Teaching them to observe everything I've called you, or uh, I taught you, and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bracketed, that's bracketed by two verses. Verse 18. All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Wow. Think about that. All power in heaven and earth is given unto Jesus. And then, verse, that's verse 18, 19, 20 is the commission. And verse 20, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's he letting us know? That same divine power that he exercised throughout his ministry when the disciples were blown away over and over again as he was catching men, he still has and he wants to use in the church age. After his ascension, he wants to empower us. Remember that fishing story I gave you guys sometime back? Not too long ago, so I won't repeat the whole thing, but the guy that was using dynamite, right, to catch fish and it worked very effectively. I won't repeat that story, I just gave it a few weeks back. But the Greek word dunamis means, it speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. I think Strong's Concordance, I don't use Strong's much because I have bigger, better Greek dictionaries, but Strong's has two words, the smaller Strong's, miraculous power under dunamis. Okay? 
And today the church doesn't rely on God's power. 2 Timothy 3, 5, when it says last days, terrible times will come. Verse 5 says men will have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. In the Greek, it's deny the dunamis thereof. So men aren't seeking God to win souls. They're not crying out to him to exert his power. In in Acts chapter 4, the disciples prayed that the Lord would spread his word. And the whole place was shaken. And then the word of God spread. Read the rest of the book of Acts. Read all the book of Acts. Peter became a soul winner, didn't he? How many people were saved on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached the message? 3,000. Then after that, 4,000. So yeah, it gets even over five, six, seven thousand 7,000 right there in a few days. Wow. And Paul said he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the dunamis that works in us. His Holy Spirit is still active and he still wants to use us. Amen. So I'm encouraging you, recognize his grace as a fisher of men. Recognize that God wants to forgive you and use you. And recognize his power. Peter was encountered both at that moment, right? His grace, his forgiveness, he wants to use, yes, you. Peter felt he couldn't be used. It's when we think, God will use me. I'm great. Of course, God wants me on his team. I'm something else. That's when we are in trouble. That's when the Lord is shaking his head, no, you know. He resists the proud. It's when we recognize, as Paul said, the flesh profits nothing. Amen. And that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. John 15, 5. But through him, we can do all things. Right? Philippians 3, 12. So it's amazing in 13 there. Now, it's amazing because I mentioned to you that Jesus had already... uh, called Peter before this. So a lot of people go here and then they preach evangelism and how Jesus won these guys. And, but Jesus had already encountered Peter, but we don't see Peter's commitment and a response to that call until we read Mark 1, Luke 5. But prior to that time, we read in John 1, 43-42, one of the two who had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Andrew's already a soul winner, you know. He's the one that went to Peter and said, we found the Messiah. And it says first, he began to do this, you know. He began to witness, amen. Which translated means Christ. We brought him, he brought him to Jesus. What a thrill, what an excitement to bring people to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter, which is translated Peter. The Greek, it's Petros, Peter, which means rock. Not to be confused with Petra, which means huge rock. Jesus said, thou art Peter, Petros, little rock, but upon this rock, Petra, which is Peter's proclamation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the, the church is built on Christ, the Petra, huge rock. Petros is little rock. But the interesting thing here is, guess what? Peter is going to be made in Jesus' image. Remade, amen? So when Jesus first, he gives a prophecy. This is what I'm going to do with you, Peter. Now, Peter was, what was Peter thinking at that point? Who is this? He's the Messiah here. But then later, he 
he lets him, that's probably why he said, yeah, use my boat. Because later, Jesus said he wanted to borrow his boat because Jesus was pressed by the multitudes. He gets up on the boat and preaches, and, you know, and then Jesus gives that great haul, and then Peter's tripping out, and that's why he falls down. He goes, he's realizing, man, he really is the Messiah, you know? And that's why he was able to leave his nets and follow Jesus. Could you, if Jesus said, quit your job and follow me and go to this country, that country, wherever, would you do it? I hope so, because that's the heart of a real disciple. Amen? Now, it's interesting, because Peter's like wondering, he's calling me a little rock. I'm Simon. His surname was from Simeon, who was a rascal in the Old Testament. You know, got in trouble because of his unbridled zeal, yet he was like shifting sand. But he says, I'm going to call you, I'm going to make you a Peter. I'm going to call you Peter. Now you see his name, sometimes he's still called Simon. He struggled at times with the old man. But what's interesting about this whole thing is he's probably wondering, how can he make me into a rock? But sure enough, Jesus would make him into a solid rock of a man. Amen? Now it's interesting because This is what the Lord does, because we're fishers of men, amen? But did the Lord leave Peter, this sinful, wicked man? Or did he change him into the shifting sand of a man? No. He changed him into a solid rock of a man, amen? Took some time, took some work, took some patience. Thankfully, the Lord is patient with us, amen? He's patient with you. But he wants you to continue to seek him. Continue to spend time with him and and, and read his word and, and pray and cry out to him and allow him to transform your heart, amen? That's his heart for you. And guess what? There's a lot of people that you probably witness to, you'll be like, how could that guy come to Jesus? But don't forget the rock from which you were hewn from or the, the, the pit from which you were dug out of. I remember what I came out of, man. So I don't want to have an attitude like I'm better than other people. And I see lost people, I'm like, it's by the grace of God that I'm saved. I could be in that same state if I hadn't come to Christ. Who do we think we are? We're saved by his grace. Amen? If it wasn't for Jesus reaching out and saving me, my life would just be a mess still. I'd be in rebellion to him. I'd be on my way to hell. I I personally believe I'd probably be dead a long time ago. I was a very destructive person as a non-Christian. I had a a death wish, you know. I was just so destructive, you know. And uh, by, by the grace of God, now I love living for the Jesus man. I'm like, thank you, God, for saving me. But I always want to remember from whence I came and what he's done in us. And that way we were, we're reminded of where people are at. And in Titus, you can, if you have time, you can go there. If you go to Titus, uh, it's chapter 3. It's a great reminder for us of just the Lord's... Uh, the Lord's, Lord's amazing grace. My Bible is falling apart on me. I got some pages that came out. I hope that's not Titus. <laughs> now it's just amazing. When you go to Titus 3, look at what he says here. Remind them, that is believers. He's talking to a young pastor named Titus. To subject, be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. To be ready for every good deed. To what? Malign no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were what? Foolish. 
or foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But, I love the but there, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He what? He saved us. Because we're great people? No. We just found out we weren't. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Wow. So that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Is that amazing? We've been saved by God's incredible grace. Amen? And we should be so thankful for that. Now it's interesting because He saves us, but He doesn't just leave us in our rotten, filthy, sick state. Amen? What happens when you catch fish? If you're going to eat them, what do you do? You clean them. Amen? Thank God He cleans His fish. Amen? Our job is to catch them. Amen? And He uses us to catch them. His job is to clean them. Amen? Okay? Sometimes we think it's our job to clean everybody up. Amen? And we become sin sniffers and we get all involved in someone's life and say, you got to live exactly how I live. Oh, no, man. We preach the word. We love people. Amen? You know? And we encourage people to follow Jesus. But the Holy Spirit sanctifies them. He cleanses us when we come to Christ. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? He catches his fish, and he cleans his fish. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart. Amen? What does it mean to be sanctified? He sets us apart from the, that which is dirty, that which is unholy, that which is filthy. To be sanctified means to be set apart from that which is evil and consecrated to God. That's how the word is used throughout the Scripture. It's to be used for holy purposes. We're no longer to be conformed to the world, but to be what? Transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen? So He transforms us by the Holy Spirit. And I love 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, because it says, As we look to the Lord, He changes us or transforms us from glory to glory. Isn't that awesome? So Peter will be changed. And I love Jesus prays for Peter and the other apostles in John 17, 17, just before he goes to the cross. And he prays this prayer in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And he also goes on to say, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. 1 John 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. God wants us, he, wants, he, he saves us and He separates us from evil. You know, so when we read in Ephesians 5 that we're saved by grace, or Ephesians 2, 8, 9, famous verses, by grace you saved through faith, it's a gift of God, it's by grace, right? By, by grace you are saved through faith, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should what? Boast, Amen. We love those verses, but verse 10, a lot of people forget, goes on to say, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Amen? So then he uses us. Amen? As it says in uh, 2 Timothy, I think chapter 2, that we are vessels that are supposed to be set apart for the master's use. Amen? Honorable vessels. 
So God wants us to be saved, forgiven, and he cleanses us of the penalty of our sin from our sins, and then he changes us by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Word of God, the sanctifying prayers of Jesus, all these wonderful things. And we become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone be in Christ, he's a what? New creations. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. I love what he says to the Corinthians. He talks about how, hey, guess what? Don't be, let anybody deceive you. If you're a fornicator, adulterer, homosexual, effeminate, a, a thief, you know, a reviler, you know, a brawler, a drunkard, you're not going to inherit God's kingdom. But I love what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. There's a cleansing. Cleanses fish. You were sanctified. You were justified, made right. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Peter would learn what it means to become righteous. Not only forgiven and declared righteous before God, but practically righteous. Please, it's important as, as believers, I mean, we're here to dive in, right? Just not one or two verses and a bunch of stories. Okay, you leave, oh, I heard some stories. And, but you don't grow, you're not stretched, you don't learn the Word. We'd get into the Word, amen? amen. we tell some stories and stuff, but let's... Let's, let's major in the word, amen? amen? So understand there's two different types of righteousness that you have as a believer, okay? You have the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. That means when you are forgiven, you become righteous before God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross, amen? amen. The word starts with a J. What's that called? Come on now. I'm hearing a few people say it. Yell it out. What's it? What is it? Justification. Justification. Amen. You're justified. Good job. That means you've been declared righteous before God. Amen? So we're righteous, not by works that we do, but we're forgiven of our sins because of what Jesus did in paying for our sins to tell us to die, paid in full on the cross. Amen? We put our faith in Him. We no longer come under condemnation because we put our faith in Christ. That's how we're declared righteous, is through what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? Amen. But there's another type of righteousness, and that is practical righteousness whereby you and I are becoming less and less like our old man and more and more like Jesus, amen? amen? Where we're becoming more practically righteous. That's the process of sanctification. The Greek word holy is translated often, it's hagios. It's often translated holy or sanctified or sanctification. And the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Okay? That's serious stuff. Now, Peter says, be holy as he is holy. <whistles> Jesus said, be perfect as he is, your Father in heaven is perfect. Amen? And in 1 Peter 1, he says, conduct yourselves in fear as pilgrims on this earth, as we are passing here with fear of God. Amen? He says, be holy as he is holy. So we won't be as holy, we won't be holy like he's holy until what happens? Until we're with him. Amen? But we are going through, we're what we call in theology, progressive sanctification. That we are works in progress, under construction, says the, says the uh, general contractor here, right? We are under construction. We're becoming more like Jesus every day, or we ought to be. If we're not, we're backslidden, and we need to get right with the Lord, amen? So I, I find it fascinating that, that Peter... Here, you know, after this, 
He's going to make, I'm going to make you a, 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 a fisher of men. He witnesses at the day of Pentecost. He sees 3,000 souls get saved. Wow. I did a presentation one time years ago at a high school, and I encouraged people that wanted to turn to Christ to stand up. About 900 of them stood up. And my heart was just boom, boom, boom. I was like, thank you, Jesus. I don't know how many of those guys, were, gals were sincere. It was a powerful presentation, you know, showing Satanism and music and everything, and their eyes were bugged out, and boom, all these people stood up. I don't know how many of them might have already been saved and just stood up because they're like, whoa, I better get, make sure I'm right with God. How many stuck? I don't know. But 3,000 people come to Christ, sincere people whose lives are changed. A lot of times people will come up and they'll say Jesus in modern you know, evangelistic events, but a lot of times there's not real commitment studies show. These guys, man, studies show these guys turned the world upside down. There was repentance that was preached. They were disciples. And then many more, got, and then others more got saved after that. But I find it fascinating that he said, I'll make you fishers of men. But not everybody is going to have that kind of experience. Not everybody's going to have an experience where they see, where they lead a bunch of people to Christ in the streets. That may or may not happen. But we all need to be about our Father's service, amen, and the service of the Lord Jesus, and being part of the, you know, the evangelistic campaign of winning souls, amen? amen. We're all going to be involved in that. That's why we're here, man. And I think it's very interesting in Mark 1, after we read about the conversion, or I should say the, you know, this, this step to decide to follow Jesus and leaving their nets and become fishers of men, the very next verse after the verses that I read says this in Mark 1.19. Going on a little farther, that is Jesus going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, because they were their fishing partners, right? who were also in the boat mending their nets. Isn't it interesting? They didn't apparently bring in this huge haul like Peter and Andrew, but they're what? Mending their nets. Isn't that interesting? They're mending the nets, I should say. They're mending the nets. It's critical that we have people that go out and seek to win souls and preach the gospel on the streets. Amen? It's important that we do that. Very few churches do that today, and it breaks my heart because that's what the early church did. But you know what? We also need to make sure people are mending the nets. People that are going and casting the nets out and bringing in the hall, but we need to make sure people are mending the nets. And I think it's really interesting because Peter, Andrew, we already see that Andrew's winning souls, Amen. And we see Peter is out there winning souls. But it's interesting when you look at John and James that they're, 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 they're net menders. Because guess what? What if Peter and Andrew's nets were, had full of holes, never fixed? Would they pull those fish in? No. You need net menders too, amen? Because they're part of the process. The eye can't see the hand. I have what? No need of you. We work as a body. So many of you get out on the streets. Praise God for this fellowship. A lot of people like the street witness here. It's awesome. Others are mending nets. What do I mean by that? And all of us need to be open. To, all of us should have hearts to share the gospel. You know, may, may the Lord help you and strengthen you to share with your family, with your friends, to pray about going on mission trips. All that stuff is beautiful. Uh, I'll tell you what, man. How many of you went on the deep sea fishing trip recently? 
Some of you guys went out there, some of you gals. Heard it was a great trip. I tried to make those fishing trips. Can't make them all. But, man, there is nothing like getting a bite, man, and then pull. You know, it's neat when you get a bite. It's like, whoa, you know, especially deep sea fishing. You know, it's not a little guppy. You know, usually there's going to be something pretty nice, something substantial, you know. But then when you get a tug and you feel that real, just, and if you get a really big tug, it's like, as long as it's not like somebody four feet down at somebody else's line you're getting, you know. You, and you find out it's a fish because you, you can sense the difference, not just this constant tug downward. It's like, you know, a fight. It's so exciting. But you know what? And you know what? I'm, I was, I'm not a natural-born fisherman. My friends would go fishing when I was a little kid at Rancho Park. I'd, I'd fish for five, ten minutes. I'm like, man, I want to go do something exciting. We're not getting any bites. You know, I'd walk around the, the lake or whatever. I thought it was the most boring thing in the world. Until I was invited with a bunch of see me policemen to go fishing and went with them. And I caught a whitefish right away. And I'm like, what in the world, man? And I love fish. Fish is so good, isn't it? For you fish lovers, right? I'm like, man, I get to take that home, whatever else I caught. Then I'm like, man, I love deep sea fishing. That's pretty awesome. And I just remember, you know what? I was like, it totally changed my view on fishing. I was like, wow, you know what? And I know guys that it's just in their blood, you know? Like Joe Pirro, he'll go like four or five hours to Bishop, catch and release because he doesn't like fish, and then come all the way back. I'm like, that is a fisherman, man, you know? And now he likes sushi, or he's liked sushi for several years, but he doesn't eat, you don't eat that stuff out of the, out of the you know, <laughs> the, the pond or the lakes out here raw, you know? But uh, it's awesome. And you know what? I'd wake up, sometimes we have trips, you get up two, three in the morning, that's hard on me because I get to bed at 2, 3 in the morning. So then I'm like half hour sleep or whatever. And then take pills that wouldn't work for me because I would always take them just before and vomit all over the place, you know, create a chum line for the, you know, the, the fish, you know. But I'd still go. You know why? Because I loved being with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it was fun catching the fish and eating them later. And I mean, you know, I remember one time was, you know my sister Kathy, right? She usually sits right up here. And we're in the back of the boat. Not very smart because all the diesel's coming up in your nose. And we're like just on the verge. And I just remember Scott Pruitt, man. Good to see you. Good, good, good to know you around still, Scott. He lives in Florida now, but he's still connected to our ministry. And he's like, he's looking at us. We're all peaking. He goes, anchovy pizza. That's all it took. And on cue, we just went, you know. And, uh, but guess what? We would still go evangelize. We'd still go, and I'd still go fish. But you know what? Why would we wake up early in the morning, puke all over the place, and then go back again the next time? Glutton for punishment? No, because it was worth it to be with the brothers and, and, and sometimes the sisters that would go. And, it was, and to fish and catch fish. It was pretty fun. But guess what? Nothing like the joy and the excitement that comes from people coming to Christ. Because I can tell you right now, I don't care how big a fish you catch out on a deep sea fishing trip or at a lake or wherever, I don't think the angels are tripping out. But when just one sinner, you can catch 50 fish and their angels aren't like, wow, check that out. But you just lead one sinner to repentance. Amen? And what do the angels in heaven do? They rejoice. Amen? They rejoice. So 
If we could wake up early in the morning, vomit like crazy, knowing you're going to get sick even. I'll go on the boat knowing I'm going to get sick for something that is pretty fun. How much more should we be willing to do to win eternal souls, which brings way more joy? Are you with me tonight? Or do we not want to be inconvenienced? Well, it doesn't really fit into what I want to do in life. Well, wait a minute. Are you a follower of Christ? Are you a disciple of Jesus? If you're a true follower of Christ, you're going to say, hey, even though it's hard sometimes, I'm going to be a witness. Amen? I may be out there casting nets, or I may be mending nets. I may be just busy in the fellowship, making sure I'm encouraging brothers and sisters to be strong in Christ, that I'm a peacemaker. Amen? Encouraging people to love one another. Amen? Speaking well of my brothers and sisters in Christ who are seeking Jesus. Amen? Being a healing bomb and a, a, a net mender. Amen? We, we all have things to do. And I, I mention that because it's interesting that James and John were mending nets. And we don't see James and John on the day of Pentecost reeling in all these fish, but we see them, guess what? It's debated as to which James wrote the, book, the, the letter of James. I think, I think there's a good argument that it could have been James, this James, the son of thunder. And when we go through the book of James pretty soon, I'll give you the reasons why it could be this James. Most Bible commentators believe it was James, the brother of Jesus. Although when I look at the evidence, I don't see it as being, it's kind of split. And we'll look at that later. It's interesting. You've got to look at the arguments closely. But guess what? What was John doing? First, second, third, John, he wrote the Gospel of John, amen, which was evangelical, by the way. The book of Revelation, most of his the letters to the seven churches that Jesus gave him, he was strengthened in mending the church. Isn't that interesting? I want to be involved in both. Amen. In fact, the Greek word for mending is katartizo. Katartizo. You would transliterate it in English, K-A-T-A-R-T-I-Z-O. Katartizo. And that Greek word is interesting. It's translated in the NASB. That's the word that's used in Matthew chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 1. Both times it's used of them mending nets. It's translated in NASB as Cartizo is translated complete, equip, fully trained, made complete, mending, perfect, prepared, and restore. And I think it's interesting that they're mending, the Lord uses them to mend. They're winning souls, Peter and Andrew, but not just Peter and Andrew, because James and John, I'm sure they cast nets out, but they were also mending the nets. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, guess what? We need to go out to the highways and byways, right? And bring the sheaves in, amen? We need to be fishers of men and go out, right? But we also need to be here and strengthen one another and mend the nets, amen? Are you with me tonight? I mean, and you know what I love about this fellowship? One of the things I love about this fellowship is we don't just sing some songs and just pray. All those stuff's really important. Just hear the word being preached. All that's important. But so many people minister to one another, I love it that I see people praying for each other, encouraging each other, caring about each other. Let's keep doing that because we're the nets, amen? We're the fishers of men that the Lord wants to use. So that's a very important, and I thought it was really interesting because guess what? Cartatizo, mending, is found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, Paul says, same Greek word, cartatizo, 
not with brethren, that's another word. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. Guess what the Greek word is there? Kartatizo. It was a known word for mending nets. It was known for, restore, for, for setting a bone, too, that was broken. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. So as brothers and sisters, when a brother falls, what are we to do if that person's willing to listen? To help restore them, amen? By restoring people and being involved in ministry, not just outside the flock as you witness to the lost, but as you minister and build up the flock and love one another, you're strengthening the, you're strengthening the fishermen, amen? Are you with me tonight? This is such important stuff. But I thought it was interesting. I knew that Greek word, kartatizo, was used in Galatians 6.1 for restoring a brother, and it was the same one used for mending. But I never saw the connection with uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, which is kartatizmos, or kartatizmos, uh, which means to mend or equip. It's from, I should say it's from kartatizo, which means to mend or equip, kartatizmos. And guess what? It's used in Ephesians 4, 11, 12. Listen how it's list used. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Amen? So why does he give apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, or pastor teachers? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to build up the soul winners, to build up the fishers of men, to mend the nets, to prepare them to go out and be witnesses. Amen? What do you think I strive to do all the time? What do you think a lot of you are striving to do? Amen? The Bible says, not just to pastors, but to all believers in Hebrews 10, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Amen? We ought to be seeking to stimulate each other to love people, to love the lost, to, for good deeds, to witness the lost. Amen? That's what we need to be about. That's what we need to be about. I think it's interesting. Remember Peter in, Mar in uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27? He was concerned about taxes and asked Jesus about taxes. Remember what Jesus told him to do? He told him to go fishing. Throw his line. A lot of times he used nets. This time it's a line, you know. Throw your line into the, in the water. See, you know. What happens? What did he pull up? Pull the fish with what in it? Enough to pay the taxes at that moment, right? And again, Peter's tripping out. Why did he do that with Peter? Because he's letting Peter know he's in control. Peter, he related Peter through fishing. Don't worry. I've got everything under control. Just obey me. And I just think that's amazing. Now, we need to use the right bait. Now, at the end of the ministry, remember when G Peter denied the Lord three times? What was he probably feeling like? Jesus said, if you deny me, I'm going to what? Deny you. But if you confess me, I'll confess you. And he denied him three times. Jesus crucified, rises from the dead. He's on the seashore. And what's Peter doing? He's fishing with John, the disciples. By the way, at least seven of the 12 apostles were fishermen. Not a trip. At least about seven of these guys were fishermen. And they went back to fishing for a while. And Jesus is on the seashore. And it's, you know, he says, hey, you know, same problem, right? They didn't catch anything. What did he do? Cast the net on the other side of the boat. 
Now, one thing they're probably going to think is like, yeah, right. They don't know it's Jesus at that point. But then they're like, wait a minute. Peter, John, they might have been thinking, you know what? We'd probably be pretty silly not doing that because we saw a miracle one time. I don't know what's going through their mind. They do it. Do you remember how many fish were in that? 153, amen. 153 fish. And guess what? John says when he sees all the fish. Remember what John says, the apostle? He doesn't say, wow, look at all these fish. He says, it's the Lord. It's Jesus on the seashore, you know. And what does Peter do? He jumps in the water, starts swimming to shore. And he's shivering, really cold because he just got all wet. And, he's, and there's fire burning. Remember what happened to him the last time right before that at the fire? Remember that? What did he do at a fire before that? He denied the Lord three times. Now he's getting warm. And I think it's really interesting that he just got all wet because he needed to get warm. And he was by the fire when he denied the Lord three times. And he so regretted that because right after the third time, the cock crowed and Jesus was being ushered out and Jesus looked at him and Peter wept bitterly. He couldn't believe it. Sinful man that I am. Remember what he said before? So he probably feels like this sinful man. I can't believe it. I denied the Lord. And the Lord, the Lord, he denied the Lord three times. But the only time you see that Greek word fire is when he, that specific Greek word is when he denied it three times and right there when Jesus is restoring him, making him, telling him, do you love me? Three times. Remember that? Peter, do you love me? And I don't have time to go through that whole scenario, but yes, Lord, you know I do. And he, he, the first two times he says, do you agapao me? It's that really strong word for love. Do you agapao? Agape is the noun. Agapao is the verb in Greek. Do you agapao me, Peter? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, so forth. The third time it says Peter was greed because the third time. A lot of people think it's because he said it three times. Not just because he said it three times, because because the third time he said, Peter, do you phileo me? Phileo is not a word that's not used as strong as agape often. And it says, Peter was grieved because the third time he said, do you phileo me? Have a friendship love, brotherly love for me even, you know? And he was grieved because Jesus dropped the word that he used for that sold out kind of love. And then what's interesting is how could Peter not be thinking about when he denied him and now he's being restored? And when he first met him, right? Jesus called him and then the fishing incident when he was first meeting Jesus, it's all coming back. You know what's a trip about that? It hit me really hard. I was thinking, wow, this is interesting because Jesus said, I'll make you fishers men, follow me, Amen. He denied the Lord three times. He felt terrible. Now Jesus lets him reverse what he said at the fire three times. I love you, I love you, I love you, Lord. And then Jesus says something fantastic to him. He says, you know what? He shows him how he's going to die. When you grow old, they're going to lead you where, you, and you, where you're not going to want to go. They're just going to, you know, you're not going to, and he, it says he talked about how he'd glorify him in his death. If Jesus said, hey, you're going to be killed for me, some people, Christians, be like, oh, Lord, I don't want to do that. How can you let that happen to me? You know what? Peter was so happy because he wanted to, he, it's such a bad taste in his mouth that he denied the Lord. Amen. He was so happy to hear that he would leave this earth, glorifying his Lord. And church history tells us he was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my master. 
But what's interesting is right after this, when Jesus tells Peter what's going to happen, you know what he does? Which this is what hit me hard. So those things I, is he says, what about John? Do you, you know? What about John, the apostle John, Peter says to Jesus? Peter, he says a couple things, and Jesus says to him, Peter, you follow me. I thought, wow. That's just like when he said, I'll make you fishers of men, right? Follow me. He just catches all these fish. It brought him back to being a fisherman. He said, Peter, you follow me. And guess what? He follows him, and 3,000 souls are saved a little bit after that. And Peter becomes this radical fisher of men. Brothers and sisters, how do you become fishers of men? Do you need to go to 51,000 classes? Do you need to go to all these special seminars? You need to follow him. Amen? Follow Jesus. He said, I will make you fishers of men. Do you spend time with him in prayer? That's where you, you get a heart for the loss and you, you ask for wisdom and he gives you wisdom. You know? Praise God, you belong to a fellowship. I mean, we've got this whole campaign, the Set Free campaign we're doing right now. Right? It'll be a few days in August when hopefully we'll all be able to get out in one way or another. Whether it's stuffing bags or stuffing bags and or you know, street witnessing and so forth. We've got all kinds of stuff prepared that we get to do. And hopefully we'll see people come to Christ through it, you know? Well, what if we don't catch 153 souls even? It's required of a servant to be faithful. Amen? I just want to be faithful. We see people come by the grace of God to Christ all the time through our ministries, getting people writing all the time, people transformed. People seem to visit our fellowship just about every week, sometimes several people in a week who've been ministered to what, through what we do from different states, sometimes different countries. It's beautiful to see. But you know what? We're hitting Simi Valley hard right now, okay? Um, and we're going to get a mailer to most of the houses. We're going to be out in the streets and so forth. But this isn't something we just do in August, amen? I know we do a deep sea fishing trip once a year. Maybe I think they're trying to get twice going this summer. But that's not something we do. That's something we do for fun. Man, we need to win souls because souls need to be won. Amen? Jeremiah 6.16 says, Behold, I send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. So the Lord fishes in a lot of different ways when you compare the scriptures on fishing. But he calls us to be fishers of souls. And you know what? When you fish, you need the right kind of bait, right? There's guys, man, that'll be all jacked up. They'll have the best equipment you could possibly. They'll be, I mean, spend all kinds of money on the, most, the best equipment and everything else. Come up skunked, man, if you don't have the right kind of bait. What bait do we use? We don't tickle people's ears. Because then you're just filling a church, not bringing people to Christ. We just had a whole study last Sunday. What did we talk about using to bring people to Jesus the Savior? The law. Amen? Okay. I can't believe how many reactions I've got to that message. Far more than I even thought. would. It impacted people in different ways. I'm so happy to hear that. In fact, one brother said to me, I saw him later that day. He goes, Joe. I went out with some of the brothers afterwards. And you know what? I, I've never understood this about the law because he's been only coming here less than a year, six months or whatever. And he goes, I, and I usually, I was going to witness somebody. I witnessed to the gal that was serving us. And he goes, and I said to her, I was going to say, typically I'd say, hey, you know what? 
talked about coming to Christ and what a blessing it is and stuff. But I said, hey, I just spelled out to her, you know, have you broken God's commandments? We all have. You're under God's wrath. You need Jesus, you know. And I'm not saying every conversation you get right to that so quick, okay. But we need to let people know they need the Savior. And when people realize they've broken God's law, then guess what? Jesus, the one who loves them, who made them, the lover of their souls, who gave himself for them, is preparing a place for any who come to him. All of a sudden, they realize how beautiful he is. Amen? Amen. Listen to the parable. And by the way, you preach the gospel. You preach the gospel. You preach the law. You show people they're under conviction and they're doomed without Jesus. And then hopefully they'll start hungry and thirsting for righteousness they don't have. Amen? Then you preach the cross of Jesus. You preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God is salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. Amen? Then there's a parable of the dragnet. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out of the wicked from among the righteous, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. Because there's going to be a final judgment where the wicked and the righteous are separated for all eternity. And we need to make sure that we get people into God's net now, as many as we can. Amen. Amen. We interviewed uh, recently a brother named Easy. Uh, and he's a great brother. He's part of Ray Comfort's ministry. Uh, and we interviewed him. If you go to goodfight.org, it's a really good interview. And it's interesting. Uh, I saw something recently from him, which is like a little cartoon. And I'm not going to play the cartoon for you. But uh, it's his voice narrating it. And it's called, it's a parable of fishless fishermen's fellowship. Fishless fishermen's fellowship. And I'll read some of what he says. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone specifically to win them to Christ? As Christians, we need to get into the habit of preaching the gospel to those around us. Unfortunately, many churches are filled with people who don't do much when it comes to evangelism. Let's read a parable of the fishless fishermen's fellowship. The fishermen were surrounded by streams and lakes full of hungry fish. They met regularly to discuss the call to fish and, abundance, uh, and the abundance of the fish and the thrill of catching them. They got excited about fishing. Someone suggested that they needed a philosophy of fishing. So they carefully defined and redefined fishing. They also developed fishing strategies and tactics. They began research studies and attended conferences on fishing. Some traveled to faraway places to study different kinds of fish and different habits. A few even got doctorates in fishology, but no one had yet gone fishing. <laughs> so a committee was formed to send out fishermen, a prospective uh, uh, as prospective fishing places outnumbered fishermen, the committee needed to determine priorities. A priority list of fishing places was posted on the bulletin boards in all the fellowship halls, but still no one was fishing. A survey was launched to find out why. Most didn't answer the survey, but some of those who did, it was discovered that some felt called to study fish. 
a few to furnish fishing equipment, and several to go around encouraging the fishermen. With <laughs> so many important meetings, conferences, and seminars, they just simply didn't have time to fish. Now Jake was a newcomer to Fisherman's Fellowship. After one string of meetings to the fellowship, he went fishing and caught a large fish. Wow. The next meeting, he told this story and was honored by, uh, by, for his catch. He was told that he had a special gift of fishing. He was then sketched. Yeah, he's got a special gift of fishing. He must just have a special gift, right? I'm not called to it. Uh, he was scheduled to speak at the fellowship chapters and tell everyone how he did it. With all, uh, with all the speaking invitations and his election to the board of directors, Jake no longer had time to go fishing. But soon he began to feel restless and empty. He longed to feel the tug of the line once again. So he canceled the speaking. He resigned from the board. And he said to a friend, hey, let's go fishing. And that's exactly what the two of them did. Lo and behold, they caught fish. The members of Fisherman's Fellowship were many. The fish were plentiful, but the fishermen were few. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. When it comes to evangelism, are you a fisherman who doesn't fish? If that's the case, don't be afraid to follow Jesus. You can trust him. He will make you a fisher of men. I like that, man. Now, that's the crazy thing. Uh, that should be convicting. We talk about fishing all the time, right? Do you go fishing? <laughs> you know, fish for Jesus. I, I have a hard time speaking. So did Moses. He said, I can't talk. You got to go confront Pharaoh, man. That's a lot bigger deal than what God's calling us to do as far as hard. And the Lord says, I will be with your mouth to Moses. Amen. Well, I'm not a natural like Paul. A natural like Paul? Paul prayed. Paul, Paul asked us more than once, the churches, pray for me that I have boldness to preach the gospel. He didn't feel just always full of boldness to preach the gospel. Pray for yourself. Say, Lord, pray for one another. Pray for this fellowship that we become more evangelical. Amen? So important. Amen? By the way, there's a big difference. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. The, the picture of fishing, because you got to picture the, you know, the world as full of water and the people as the fish that God's after. Amen? But the crazy thing is when you catch a fish out of the ocean, what happens to it when you pull it up? It what? It dies. But the crazy thing, when you pull fish out of the ocean of the world, what happens? They live. They live. Amen? It's a beautiful contrast. They come to life. And now what's interesting is the ancient Near East, Ain, we call it Ain, A-N-E, ancient Near East, Israel and surrounding nations, they viewed the ocean as this place of chaos. Sea monsters, you know, Leviathan. And there's all kinds of creatures in there, man. We've only explored like 10% of the ocean. Do you know that? We barely just dipped our toe in the ocean as far as what we really know about it. There's all kinds of crazy stuff in there. It's a place of chaos. So the Lord wants us to rest. And the world, think of it, Revelation 13, 1. The beast comes up out of the sea. Revelation chapter 17, the heart sits over the many waters. Amen. Revelation 21, 1. There is no more sea. Amen. Reve Isaiah chapter 57, other chapters, it talks about, in fact, I'll quote Isaiah 57, 20. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Okay, in the book of Jude, it talks about the false teachers are like wild waves of the sea, casting up their foam, you know, their shame like foam, wandering stars from the black darkness is reserved forever. So there's these pictures 
of the lost, the sea, the, the chaos in the sea is a picture of the lost state of man. We're called to rescue people out of that chaos. Amen? We're called to be fishers of men. That's why God uses these powerful pictures. This imagery is meant to startle us. And for the first century mind, it was very startling to look at this and say, wow, you know? In fact, guess what? We want to snatch them out of the fire. Jude commands us, amen? We're commanded and have mercy on some who are doubting. Others snatch out of the fire, he says, amen? Hating the garment that's been polluted by the flesh. What fire, man? A lake. It's not a lake of water, really. It's a lake. It's called the lake of fire. We got people that are That's why the angels rejoice, man. That's why they just like, praise God, another one got saved. You want to make the angels happy? You want to bless God's heart? You want to bless, you want to walk in the joy of the Lord? Serve him, man. Get involved in evangelism. Don't get all caught up in the mundane things that later in life you'll be like, man, I waste a lot of time doing that. I could have been winning souls. Amen? Let's win souls for Jesus. I close with Keith Green's song called Asleep in the Light. I won't play it because, man, you play it, we get dinged, we get a warning, you know, because copyrights. But listen to these lyrics, man. Keith Green is so convicting. How many people write lyrics like this? Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care, don't you care, are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. You know it's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds. He cares for your needs. And you just lay back, keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see such sin? Because he brings people to your door, and you turn them away, and you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace. And all heaven just weeps. Because Jesus came to your door, you left him out on the streets. Open up, open up, and give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cries, so how can you delay? God's calling, and you're the one, but like Jonah, you run. He told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Oh, can't you see such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark, and the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave, and you, you can't even get out of bed. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead, and come on, get out of your bed. How can you be so numb? Not to care if they come. You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Don't close your eyes and pretend the job's done. It's not, it's not done, guys. It's not all predetermined, amen? People are going to make real choices. You need to give them a choice and show them that death is life is before them. And they're dying because of their sins. But Jesus died and rose again so they could have life, amen? So I encourage you guys, man, Let's not pretend the job's done. Using us is plan A, amen, to win the lost, amen. Does God have a plan B, C, D, and E, and G for salvation? There's only one gospel, man. It's Jesus Christ, and we're called to preach it, amen. Oh, yeah, he'll use angels too, but he primarily uses us, amen. So... uh, Man, I came Wednesday night, and guy, I just felt terrible because I got so convicted. I need to share with the lost. Just quit coming to fishing lessons only and get out and fish. Then you'll be like, praise God. I know how to fish pretty good because I've been so well fed. Amen? Okay. Now, what if we just fish, but we don't get together in fellowship? Is that the answer? No. Because no. then we're Lone Ranger Christians. Amen? 
And the Bible warns us, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together as the habit of some, but gather together all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. And in that context, he says, that's where you what? He says right before that, stimulate each other to what? Love and good deeds. Amen? So here's where we encourage each other, we strengthen each other, but it's not either or, it's what? It's both. Amen? Can we all stand, please?